0: Um, Okay, so here's what we are doing this semester in RUF. It is typically our practice in RUF to just each semester take a book of the Bible and just kind of work our way through it. And the reason why we do that is because we hope by the time that you graduate, if you stick around this community, that you have a, uh, essentially a balanced diet of what the Bible is all about. And also, we don't presume that this is a place that is just for Christians. We assume that there are people out there, that you're out there, that uh, don't consider yourself to be a Christian, or you don't really know what you think about this stuff. And so, what better way for you to interact and explore what Christianity is all about than to interact directly with the Bible yourself. So, that's why we go through Books of the Bible. This semester, we're doing things a little bit differently. We're still going to be in the Bible, but we're going to be bouncing around a little bit, and we're going to be looking at... The subject of change. How do people change? And to do that, I just want to um, just ease into this semester with just a brief little passage in John 1. So if you have your little bulletin, I'm gonna read it. This is John 1, verse 35 through 38. It's short, it goes like this. The next day, again, John was standing, this is John the Baptist, John was standing with two of his disciples. And he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, What are you seeking? Let me pray, and then we'll talk about that. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for... Just the chance to be back together in the room with these folks. Thank you for new faces. Thank you for familiar faces. I pray that you would use our time to honor your name, to bless us, to encourage us, to point us to what is true and what is beautiful and good. And so we commit this time to you in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're going to talk about change. And I feel like everybody is obsessed with this idea, if you think about it. I mean, we're in January, so all of y'all just make your New Year's resolutions. A few weeks ago. I want to sleep. I want to wake up earlier. I want to eat, cook out less. I want to read more. I want to get off my phone more. We all have our New Year's resolutions. Um, people are obsessed with the idea of change uh, because the, the self-help Section in the bookstore is always just crazy big. Uh, there's always a million articles floating around social media about how you change. There's a million TED talks about how you change. There's a million podcasts that you have to listen to about how people change. There's uh, you know there, there's there's workout uh, regiments. There's CrossFit. There's F three. There's um, there's new diets for you to get involved with. Four of y'all. There's, there's, you know, whole thirty. There's paleo. There's other weird ones I don't even know. There's, uh, there's always these. There's lifestyle suggestions that are always being kind of pushed on you that you need more vacation, you need more meditation, more hydration. It's going to always be being pushed on you. And if you were to just kind of look at the catalog of songs that have been written about changing, it's out of control. The, maybe the one of the most famous ones is uh, Michael Jackson. Man in the Mirror. Take a look at yourself and make a change. (laughs) Na-na-na, na-na-na. Right? So you got got Man in the Mirror. Taylor Swift has a song called Change. Carrie Underwood has a song called Change. Christina Aguilera has a song called Change. Faith Evans, Change. Jack Johnson, Change. John Mayer, change David Bowie, Ch-ch-ch-changes. Remember that one? Um, Jennifer Hudson, I am changing. Rascal Flatts, changed. <laughs> Hillary Duff, metamorphosis. <laughs> there's, a, there's a bazillion songs about changing. Hillary Duff is in on the action. So it seems... It seems like everybody is kind of obsessed with this idea. We're all kind of frustrated with the way that we are. We're all, maybe some of us hate the way that we are. We have this ideal image in our head of what we want to be, of what we think that we should be, and nobody feels that we are that, and we're all trying to labor and work towards getting that. So our question this semester is, what does the Bible have to say about how you change? And the answer is actually a lot. So much so that we're going to take the whole semester to work through that question. I feel like I get that question a lot from students. How do I change? Or if, I, if they're a Christian, how do I grow as a Christian? Or why is following Jesus so hard? Why am I not growing in the way that I want to grow? And I feel like those are such enormous questions that it's, it's hard to answer those in quick little Snippet. So that's why we're taking the whole semester to explore this question, how do you change? And The Bible actually has a big word for that concept. It's the word sanctification. Let's, let's say it with me. Let's say it together. Why not? It's the first of the semester. Sanctification. sanctification. There you go. That's the fun Bible word for how you change. So that's what we're going to look at this semester. And I just want to ease into this topic tonight almost like an old man easing into a warm bath. and i want to begin with really just two ideas how's that for just an awful mental image to start the night i want to get just two things tonight what is the question before the question and then what's the inconvenient answer That's how we're going to ease into the semester. These two big ideas. What's the question before the question, and then what's the inconvenient answer? Got it? That's what we're talking about tonight. Here's the first thing. What do I mean by what's the question before the question? Well, if the question, if the main question is, how do people change? How do you change? There's actually a question that comes before that, I think. The question before that question is this. Do you even want to? Do you want to change? F- and, if, and if you're just like, wait, Matt, you just listed all those songs and all those examples that just kind of prove, of course, yeah, everybody wants to change. Well, if you think about it, I don't think it's that simple. Uh, to be cutting-edge relevant to the millennials, I want to quote um, Austin Lennox's favorite rapper, Macklemore, <laughs> who, as y'all know, that in... December, he just dropped his new album, Gemini. And I want to quote basically a lot of this one song called Intentions because I think it's really great. Here's what he says. Macklemore quote, I want to be sober, but I love getting high. Want to give it 100%, but I'm too afraid to try. I want to be faithful, but love hooking up with randos. (laughs) I want to live by the law but still think like a vandal I want to get exercise but I'm too lazy to work out I want all the finer things but don't want to go to work now I want to go outside take my family to the beach I wake up in the morning first thing I do is look at a screen I want to live freely why isn't it so easy I should read a book, but I keep watching this TV. And he keeps going. I'm going to give you a lot of the song. It goes like this I want to be a feminist, but I'm still watching pornos. I want to eat healthy, but I'm going to eat this dijornos. Oh, man. We live on social media. Read, read, each other people's, read other people's thoughts. Tweet about justice, but don't show up to the march. And then here's the chorus. It goes like this. All my little problems keep on building up and building up. All my good intentions just ain't good enough to find the love. And so I smoke until my lungs are full. Drink until I lose my cool. Apology is my middle name, and one day I will change. Now, here's what I like about that song. I think it's pretty honest even though some of the lines are interesting. Um, But I think it's honest because here's somebody saying, I want to change. And yet at the same time, I don't want to change. I want to be sober, but I love getting high. I want to... you know, watch t- I want to read a book, but I keep watching TV because I want to watch TV. And I think you could probably relate with that. This, you know, this this uh, reality that we have competing desires, conflicting, contradictory desires at the same time. I want to have free time and hang out with my friends, but I love being busy. <laughs> I want to have a godly, pure relationship with my significant other, and yet I love making out or hooking up or whatever. We have these conflicting desires. I want to change, and if you look at your life, you don't want to change at the same time. There's um, uh, you know, one of my most, I don't know this is my most embarrassing story it's embarrassing to me vocationally, but about six years ago, I was teaching on this subject of <laughs> sanctification at an RUF at a different school. And I was making the point, I know for a fact everyone in this room wants to change. I went through the rest of my sermon, closing prayer, everybody leaves, goes eat snacks. And there was this sweet, kind of shy girl that came up to me afterward and said, Matt, I have a question. What if you don't want to change? And then kind of my young, naive... Uh, I don't know, arrogance. I looked at her and said, are you perfectly content with your life? And she was like, no. And I was like, that's proof that you want to change. And she kind of looked at me like dissatisfied and feeling misunderstood and kind of walked away. And I walked away feeling like that was an amazing answer. And <laughs> six years after the fact, now I look back at that and I realize, man, that was, I was pretty naive and immature because I think that it's possible to be discontent and dissatisfied and addicted and depressed and bored and numb and yet still not want to change. I just think people are way more complicated than that. Let me give you an example of this. Um, uh, I recently heard about this movie called Stalker, which is this Russian-made movie from like 40 years ago. Apparently film buffs are like way into it, which by the way, all two and a half hours of this movie are on YouTube. I tried to watch it a couple of weeks ago, and I just I couldn't, I couldn't make it. But I offer it to you. Apparently, it's a classic if you're into movies or f- film. Maybe it's a more artistic way to say it. So the, anyway, the, the story is basically about these three guys, Professor, Writer, and Stalker. And Stalker is, the, is like their guide, and he's leading them on this journey, taking them into this place called The Zone. And once they get to The Zone, there's this place called The Room. And once they get to the room, Stalker has kind of promised them: once you step foot into this place called the room, your deepest desires will come true. What you most deeply want, you will get. And that's the whole movie: is them kind of philosophically journeying for two and a half hours to get to this place. It's kind of like uh, the mirror of Erised in Harry Potter. You know, when you when you looked at the mirror, you saw what you deeply desired. Only when you step into the room, you don't just see it; you get what you deeply desire. And so here they go. They go through this whole thing. They get to the threshold of the room and Stalker turns to Professor and Ryder and he says this. We are now at the very threshold of the room. This is the most important moment of your life. Your innermost wish will be made true here. This is the place where you can have what you want. Now who wants to go first? Who wants to step in the room? (coughs) And Ryder and Professor hesitate. And there's this disturbing epiphany that kind of creeps over them where they start to realize, what if I don't want what I think I want? What if I get the very thing my heart most desperately wants and I get it and I come to discover it's not actually what I wanted? That's an interesting question. What if you don't want what it is you think you want? There's a million examples of this of people in real life with real stories that get what they want only to discover it wasn't actually what they wanted. Let me give you three. Jim Carrey. Jim Carrey has this amazing famous quote where he says this, I think everyone should get rich and famous and do everything they ever dreamed of so they can see it's not the answer. What's he saying? He is saying, I, I have been rich and famous and I've done everything I ever dreamed of and I have discovered it's not the answer. I got what I thought I wanted, only to discover I didn't want that. Here's another example. John D. Rockefeller. Kind of a famous guy. His name is on the big Rockefeller Center in New York City. Here's what he said. Somebody once asked him, what's the one thing you wish you knew before you got started? What's the one thing you wish you knew before you started your career? And here's what he said. I wish someone had told me that when you get to the top, there's nothing there. What's he saying? He's saying, my whole life I have been wanting, craving, working to get to the top, to be successful, and I got there. I got what I wanted, only to discover it wasn't what I wanted. Nothing's there. Third example, Tom Brady. Famous uh, interview he did with 2020 a number of years ago. Patriots quarterback had uh, three Super Bowl rings by the age of 30. And he says in this famous interview, you can see this on YouTube as well, he says, why do I have three Super Bowl rings and still think there's something greater out there for me I mean maybe a lot of people would say hey man this is what it is I reached my goal my dream my life and me I think god there's got to be more than this and the interviewer looks at him and says well what's the answer and he says I wish I knew what's he saying he is saying, I thought what I wanted was money and success and Super Bowl rings and acclaim, and I got it all, only to discover it wasn't what I actually wanted. Here's the big idea. Gosh, this microphone's the little worse. That's the big idea that I wanted to leave with you all tonight. Let's close in prayer. Um, everybody in this room is driven by what you want. Everybody in this room has a vision in your mind and in your heart of what you think the good life is and you're working towards getting it. And it's the thing that drives every decision you make. It's the decision behind why you're wearing what you're wearing right now. It's the thing that's behind why you're in this room right now and not somewhere else. It's gonna be the thing that drives whether or not you stick around afterwards and talk to people or if you're going to go to the library and study or if you're going to go home and do something else. That engine of I want the good life, I want this thing, that is what's driving every single thing that you're doing. And that's why that's the most important. That's why that's the question before the question. Do you, do you want what you think you want? That's why this, that's why I want to start with this passage in John. Look at this passage really briefly. Here you have this guy named John the Baptist And he's sitting, he's just kind of chilling by the side of the road with his two disciples. And they walk Jesus, they they watch Jesus walk by. And John the Baptist says, behold, which is like Bible language for check it out. And so they say, he says, check it out. There goes Jesus, the Lamb of God. And so the disciples leave John the Baptist and start following Jesus. Like they instantly switch ministries right on the spot. And they start following Jesus. And look, verse 38, Jesus turned saw them following and said to them, what are you seeking? Actually, one of the translations says, what, one of the different translations says, what do you want? Which I always kind of read that as like he was annoyed. Like, what do you want? What do, what do you, like, get off me. But I think he's asking the deeper question. What is it that you're seeking in this life? What do you most deeply want? And do you think you want what you really want. If you got what you really wanted, would you discover that's really what you want? Here's what's interesting. All of us show up being born into this current, this river. We just show up and there is a flow to our culture, there's a flow to our society that dictates what it is that you should want. So if you think about your parents, your parents had all this pressure to put you in a good elementary school. Why? So that you go to a good high school, why? So that you go to college, why? So that you can graduate and get a good job, why? So that you can validate yourself by other people's standards. You're successful. You have money. You have the, you have good stuff. You have enough resources to put your kids in a good elementary school, why? So that your kids can go to a good high school, and then just the cycle repeats. And we and we and if we if we're not aware that this is just the flow, many of us are just sort of sleepwalking through life, wanting the things that the rest of the world is telling you you should want. You should want to be successful. You should want to be at the top. You should want acclaim. You should want money. And we're going through life sleepwalking. Yeah, I want those things. And Jesus is like jolting you awake and saying, "What are you seeking?" Is that really what you want? Because if you want something else, that's going to require you to change. Do you want to change? Or do you want to keep doing business as usual? You want to just keep doing life as usual? That's the question before the question. Do you want to change? And that's not an obvious answer. But I think that's a question that we all have to kind of wrestle with in, in, in our own hearts. Do, do I want to live a different life? Or do I want to keep doing business as usual, keep messing up the ways that I'm messing up, keep having the same old struggles, keep on over and over and over? So, if that's the question before the question, what's the Bible's inconvenient answer? If you want to change, how do you begin to change? And here's how I want to try to answer that. Let's say that you have an apple tree, and you've enjoyed the apples of this tree for many moons. And the apples have been delicious. And, but for whatever reason, you get to a point in your life where you are just sort of tired of apples. And you're ready to kind of move into more of a citrus phase. So you want oranges. So what do you do with the apple tree? Let's say you come into the apple tree and you pamper it. And you water it and you fertilize it and you hug it and you snuggle it and you kiss it. What happens if you pamper the apple tree? Do you get oranges no, you just get more apples. So let's say you do the other, let's say you do the opposite approach and you scold it and you shame it and you say, You stupid apple tree, what is wrong with you? Why do you keep doing this? You're such a disappointment. And you cut off all the branches that are old and weak and fallen off and you trim it down. What happens then? You just get more apples, bigger apples. When you think about your life. These are basically the two approaches that we take with trying to change ourselves. We either pamper ourselves. I need, this is why, this is why we have phrases like retail therapy and me time and <laughs> Netflix because <laughs> we're like, if I can just pamper myself and make myself feel good, then that's, that's what will make me be different. I need to change by just resting. Or we go the opposite round and we scold ourselves and we shame ourselves and we put rules in place and we're just like, what is wrong with you? We're going to try harder and put more resolutions and more, we're going to wake up earlier and we just scold ourselves. And what is always the result with these two approaches? It's always the same result, it's just the same old you. Maybe even a stronger version of the old you. If you want oranges, the inconvenient answer is you have to rip up The apple tree and plant something else. The inconvenient answer of the Bible is this if you want to change, you have to die. And a new life has to be put in its place. Does that sound, I mean, that sounds over the top. Does that sound too intense? You have to, the RUF guy told me I have to die. Maybe that sounds like an exaggeration. Let me give you three sound bites from Jesus so I can show you this is not just me being weird. In John chapter 3, Jesus comes up to this dude named Nicodemus, who is like this guy that's winning at life. And Jesus looks at him and says, Unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. You have to be born again, a whole new life has to come out of you. You have to be so radically transformed that there's a new you that emerges. Soundbite number two, John chapter 12. Here's what Jesus says to his disciples. I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Jesus is saying, you want to live a fruitful life, a full life? Just like a seed going into the ground, it's like being buried. It's like a casket going six feet under the ground. You have to die in order for fruit and for life to come out. In fact, he says in the very next verse, uh, never mind. Soundbite number three Matthew chapter 16, Jesus tells his disciples, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. We just sang that song earlier tonight Jesus, I my cross have taken. That's the imagery. You want to change? You want to be transformed? You have to get strung up on a cross. You have to die. You have to be the seed that goes into the ground. You have to die. The apple tree has to be uprooted. New life has to come in place. That's the Bible's inconvenient answer. Everything about your life and how you live it has to be completely undone, reformatted, revolutionized. And what this means is that Jesus is not just like the spiritual guru that comes to like improve your life and just kind of tweak it a little bit and make it more comfortable or make it a little different. He comes to revolutionize the whole thing. If you think about your life like a smartphone, you, know, you have all these apps on the, the phone of your life. You've got the school app that you, you know, click every day or so. You've got the exercise app. That if you're like me, you click it two or three times a semester. And um, you've got the Jesus app. You've got the Christianity app. that You kind of click it at RUF. You click it at church a couple times a week, whatever. And Jesus is saying, look, when I come into your life, it's, I'm just, you're not just downloading another app. I'm not just a part of your life. It's like downloading a whole different operating system. I change how you relate to every other app. I change the functionality of how you do life now. So you relate to your school differently. You relate to how you think about career and success differently. You relate to sex differently. You relate to alcohol differently. You relate to your parents differently. You relate to everything differently. This is how the Bible puts it in Colossians 3. Your life is hidden in Christ. It, your, your, the whole of your life is immersed and involved in this thing called Jesus. He's not just an extension, not just a decoration. He's not a Christmas tree ornament to your life. He is your life now. So here's the last question. Why in the world would you want that? Why would you want to stop doing life the way that you're doing it and live a completely different kind of life where Jesus is the operating system of your life? Why would you ever want that? And here's the best answer that I heard, and I'll finish with this. Eugene Peterson, who is this great pastor, author, writer, he's the guy that translated the, the Bible paraphrase, the message, if you're familiar with that. Here's what he said spiritual uh, life is basically like. He said, here's one way to define spiritual life. It is getting so tired and fed up with yourself that you go on to something better, which is following Jesus. You get so tired and fed up with yourself that you're finally in a position that you're ready to move on to something better, which is Jesus. And some of you aren't there yet. Some of you are not at the point where you're tired and fed up with yourself, and that's okay. I'm glad that you're here. For those of you that are tired and fed up with yourself and tired of the same old ruts, tired of the same old struggles, tired of the same old, same old, if you want to change... Jesus offers you a better way. And you see this kind of transformation begin to happen in this story. Here are these disciples. They're hanging out with John, and they leave him. They leave their previous way of life, and they start to follow Jesus. What was it that compelled them? What what did John tell them? He told them one thing. Behold, the Lamb of God. And that was enough for them to say, that's better. I'm going with him. They knew in this particular culture, lambs were the things that were sacrificed for their sins. Everybody sins. Everybody does stuff that they regret. And in God's universe, that means that when that happens, your life is essentially forfeit. God is absolutely just to wipe you out on the spot. But he's gracious. So what he does is he provides substitutes. Lambs, animals that come and and die in your place. And what he's saying is Jesus is that ultimate lamb. Jesus is the one that on the cross is going to bear and be the substitute for you and for me. In other words, Jesus has come to offer you a different kind of life, one that is created by grace, one that is fueled by grace. He offers you a life that is no longer marked by anxiety and exhaustion and guilt and shame and fear. And instead, he offers you a life that is marked By fullness, by love, and by joy, and by peace, and patience, and kindness, and goodness, and gentleness, and faithfulness, and self-control. Do you want that kind of life? If the answer to that question is even remotely interesting to you, I'd be interested in exploring what, what can that kind of life look like? then I really just want to invite you to keep coming back. That's the question that we're going to take up every week this semester in RUF. How do you get that? How do you change? How do you die and actually rise to a newer and better and fuller life? That's the question. Let me pray. Father, thank you so much for these folks. And I know that even at the start of the semester, this is some heavy stuff to wade into. Trying to understand our own hearts and what we want and if we want to change or if we're just content living in the same old ruts that we find ourselves in and I pray father that you would be gracious with us this semester even as we kind of go on the uh, a journey in the next 13 weeks or so would you help us to have solid answers to this that Jesus would actually be compelling to us that we would get to a place where we're tired and sick of ourselves and not despair And not find ourselves in just a pit of shame, but actually find the way to something that's better, that's more compelling, that's more full for us. Help us, help us to know how to change, and help us to have the desire to change. And we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.